Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Folk, many people come along and they say, hey, I opened my heart to Jesus back in 1986. He gave me everything that I required. But what happens oftentimes is these people who make an altar call at your average Judeo-Christian church, they don't feel anything because they've been lied to. Nothing really changes. Life suddenly is not a bed of roses, as Jesus Christ confirms within his scripture, time and time again, saying that you will have persecutions, you will be attacked from all sides for believing in his word and believing what he says. But the reality of it is, is that we should have a new life in Jesus Christ. Paul taught us such, and Paul had his own conversion on the road to Damascus. He was chosen of God, and while the Pharisee of his time, his fellow Pharisees, would have probably rebuked him for going after Jesus Christ, he was counted as good. The Pharisee was the problem throughout Jesus' life. Time and time again, he would have to rail against them, because they clinged more to the traditions of men. But nonetheless, each and every one of us should have a new life within Jesus Christ, and that is confirmed in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, And you he made alive when you were dead, through the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following in the course of this world. Now, stopping right there, before we conclude that one verse. The ways of the world is sin. The ways of Satan's kingdom down here is to engage themselves in death worship. Many people within Catholicism do the same, and we discussed that last week. They come along and they venerate certain people, and they say, hey, this person's a saint, even though that person may not be accepted with Yahweh God. Why would they do this? Because they play God. They believe they are God, and they can make judgment as to who is right and who is wrong. So the Pharisees of old were separatists. That's what the word means, Pharisee, in the Strong's Concordance. And they would come along and they would say, hey, you can't sit with sinners and publicans. You can't pick corn on the Sabbath. You can do all these things. But they would preach the fifth commandment. They would say, thou shalt not kill, and they would conspire to kill Jesus. That's how much of a hypocrite they were. And so Jesus Christ would time and time again tell them they were hypocrites. So, once we were made alive, each and every one of us would walk through that darkness. That darkness that is what? Trespasses and sins. Both of them. So you'll understand what iniquity is. The Bible itself says all sin is a transgression of the law. So here is double emphasis. 
each and every one of us have made transgressions against Yahweh's laws, which is sin. And each and every one of us once walked, following in the course of this world. Many people still do that. Many people would rather tune in to CNN, for example, forgetting how 20 years ago it was a joke that had no news to report. They would take baby Jessica, for example, in the early or the mid-80s when they were in their infancy, and they would play it 24 hours a day. Oh, pray for baby Jessica. Just Baby Jessica such a big thing. That was the beginning of what we see today, which is media scandal around everything. Now OJ kills race trader and a Jew, and the media goes on and on and on until infinity. should be pointed out that when things like these Boston bombings happen, yours truly gets to the point where you're desensitized. Well, it's just another killing, just another school shooting, isn't it? Well, that's where the enemy wants you to be. But the reason I'm desensitized is not that I don't have empathy, not that I don't have concern for my own people being destroyed as they run a marathon or people being blown up in Waco or 9-11, but because those conspiracy theorists who do push that agenda, whether it's 9-11 or the bombing thing, also accompany it with a million and one conspiracy theories. It's enough to make your head swim from point A to point B. But indeed, people are saying Hitler is still alive, even today, 4-20-2013, which is his birthday. Indeed, if you did not know that, his birthday is 4-20-1889, which is when the Fuhrer was born. So it's an impossibility that he's still alive. But nonetheless, it does not stop the conspiracy theorists from coming along and saying, well... Uh, that bombing happened, it must have been a white boy. We don't know who it was, but it must be a white guy. Why do you think they believe that? How is it any different than the bombing of 9-11, the World Trade Center and all of that? How is it they knew that particular person happened to be a Iranian or a Afghanistanian, yet this person happens to be white or whatever? The reason for that is oftentimes they come along and they need a scapegoat. Timothy McVeigh, many people in white nationalism say was a scapegoat, and there is a probability in that. It should also be pointed out at this point that April 20th, 420, and roundabout there, that is 419 or 421, is when a majority of these planned attacks do happen against our country. For example, Waco. For example, Ruby Ridge. For example, who knows? Maybe next week I'll have something to report that happened now. But perhaps it already did. Perhaps the Boston bombing was a smokescreen, because time has already proved that many counties in Boston and, and states roundabout have already made it illegal to buy and purchase handguns. So, in essence, they're taking away your First Amendment rights. It gives more clout to the conspiracy theorists. Truth is the word, according to John seventeen seventeen, and therefore everything man says is going to be hyped up. It's going to be over-sensationalized, for lack of a better term. But finishing out verse 2, once we followed within the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is that now at work in the sons of disobedience, the spirit that is within them, unlike the spirit of God that we possess, as I preached on in the first segment, where I said that Yahweh God breathed within us, gave us the spirit of truth, and that spirit will lead us into wisdom. We can read the Bible and ask for that spirit of truth, and God will lead it to us. But here's the opposite. The opposite of that 
is the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. It was Jesus Christ, Yahshua, Messiah himself, who said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. No man has fallen from heaven. So while the no devil comes along and says the devil's not real, well, right here in Ephesians chapter 2, not only is he saying that the devil is real, or at least the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, within his own children. So the sons of God have the spirit of the Most High God. But the sons of the devil, the sons, those considered here to be the spirits of disobedience, have the spirit of their father, the devil. And of course, this is confirmed in John chapter 8, and you've heard many a CI preacher preach on this. That is where Jesus Christ tells the Pharisees, those Edomite Jews that were there, you are of your father, the devil, lowercase. I am from my father, you are from beneath, I am from above, and so many other condemning statements proving that the Jews not only are not God's chosen people, but that they have separate fathers. So, I ask you this, knowing this, that this spirit that works in the children of disobedience is imparted unto them by the prince of the power of the air, then what will their children be found doing? Who are their devils, for example? Well, naturally, if somebody comes along and they're the devil's child, well then their demon, their evil entity will be our God. That is Yahweh. And so, understand that concept. It is oftentimes conceptual, at least in the minds of the people. To the Jew, our God oftentimes is a devil. And to our God, their God is a devil. The devil, for lack of a better term. And the Talmud confirms of that. But not to get into Jew bashing. Understand what I'm preaching here this evening and that is the concept that there is a spirit and that spirit is shared by the prince of the power of the air why this term air well not only did satan as lightning fall from heaven as jesus christ confirmed but he works through the air consider this through the airways through the media through the tv through your antenna that is sitting on most people's houses throughout america and australia the jew has an in they also have it with the internet unfortunately but they now have an access to every home or a majority of the homes of their targeted demographic I'll pick it up where I left off, and that is in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. teaches that you must have a new life in Christ. You can't walk around like the same manner of man that you once were. So, we left off in verse 3. At least this was continuing on. He already says that the prince of the power of the air imparts a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Sons of the disobedience are the sons of the devil. Sons of the serpent and other places in the Old Testament, they're considered the children of the adulterer and the whore. This is why when Jesus Christ would rebuke the Pharisees in John chapter 8, when he says, I know you are Abraham's seed, they would say, we be not born of fornication. Why? Because they knew that there was fornication or pornea, for lack of a better term, all the way back. That was the original sin. That is, the sin that commenced in the Garden of Eden, bringing forth Cain and his cursed tribes. The thorn that is in the side of each and every one of our Israelite people while we walk on the face of this earth. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Christ continues, Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature the children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. So what Christ is saying is the rest of mankind are the children of wrath, at least in a spiritual sense. Why? Because they walk after the way of the world. They follow the prince of the power of the air, and Jesus Christ says he is the prince of this world. I should point out that Satan, when he was tempting Jesus Christ, offered him all the kingdoms of the world. Why? Because they were his to give. I should also point out that in Job, for example, there was a day that the sons of God presented themselves before Yahweh God, and Satan came also among them. We're familiar with the account, but when Yahweh God asks him, Where have you been? He says, I've been walking to and fro upon the earth, going up and down upon it. Why? Because it was his. So this shouldn't be a foreign concept to you. Each and every one of us must walk through this same world that Jesus Christ did. There is no new thing under the sun, and Jesus Christ dealt with every single temptation that you will throughout your life. But the key is, what will you do? How do you behave? How do you respond to a little bit of temptation? Jesus Christ was a man, that is, God in flesh form, but he was in the flesh, made lower than the angels, lower than Yahweh God himself. This is why he would say, I will not judge any man. But if I were to judge, my judgment would be true. Jesus Christ himself did not spend all of his time attacking everybody else, saying this person was wrong. I already covered it in the example of Thomas. Thomas came, he said, I need a sign. Scripture says a wicked and perverse generation requires a sign. And because of that aspect, Jesus Christ could have, when he appeared after eight days to them, the other disciples, and Thomas, rebuked them and said, well, you don't believe as we do. You require a sign. But he did not. When Jesus Christ entered the room on the eighth day, after he was dead, after he resurrected, before he ascended, he entered in and said, peace be unto you, and gave Thomas the desires of his heart. Not that he was wicked, but therein lies a perfect example. Jesus Christ was the pattern laid out for each and every one of us to follow. He could make it through all these trials and tribulations. So where do you stand on that? Are we going to allow the spirit of the world, which the rest of Scripture confirms is the spirit of error, to dictate our lives? Are we going to make that pursuit for money, for finance, for position, for property, for whatever it is, the central focus of our lives and neglect Yahweh God? That would be idolatry, would it not? Well, the same can be said for those who spend all of their time talking against other preachers. Anything we spend more time with than Yahweh God, instead of glorifying his name or preaching the word in season and out of season, could be considered idolatry. Either way, it's not a wise use of our time. So continuing on, Christ says this, Among these, we all once lived, every one of us. So where do you stand? You think you can judge other people? Are you that perfect? Are you like the Pharisees in the beginning of John chapter 8 who were wanting to stone one party of an adulterous affair, the adulterous woman, that woman taken in sin? They were hypocrites. Jesus Christ said, go and sin no more. He didn't say the law was done away with. But he knew that the Old Testament said that the law against adulteresses required two parties to be punished. 
So the hypocrite does as such. And that is the spirit that works within the sons of disobedience. So each and every one of us walk that way. How? Like the rest of mankind does. Verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Stopping there, there's something in parentheses here, and we're going to cover it. But we're made alive in Jesus Christ. And this is why you've heard me put so much emphasis on the teaching that Jesus Christ says, believe in me, and you'll never taste of death. That's not easy believism. That's a promise that he makes. What is death to you? Scripturally, the wages of sin is death. Scripturally, sin leads unto death. Also scripturally, Satan is considered death personified. Is death to you a physical thing or is it a spiritual thing? Because I assure you, dear kinsfolk, a spiritual death is a much worse fate than a physical death. And Jesus Christ's words ring true. A perfect parallel to what was promised to Adam and Eve all the way in the very beginning. God told Adam and Eve, you can have every tree of the garden, save this one. Because in the day that you partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Now the natural man would come along and say, see, God lied. He didn't die. Yes, he did. It may have taken 800 years, but he did die, proving that Adam had immortality. He didn't obey. And that is a way that we cannot have a new life in Christ. should be pointed out also that there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was forbidden of Adam, but there was also there in that quote-unquote proverbial garden of Yahweh, the tree of life. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Understand this concept. He is all three of those deities. I am, first and foremost, the sacred name of God. The way, Jesus Christ says, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. Now, so much for a universalist church. What he's saying is, the true faithful, the truly faithful, God's chosen, will be those who have a heart inclined to wisdom. But not only that, are able to put away those things that we once were. Not only that, are probably disgusted by what manner of man we once were. Not lifted up like the Pharisee who thought they could judge everybody and everything. And so understand this concept. God who is rich in mercy out of the great love which he loved us. When we were dead, through our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, continuing on. By grace you have been saved. There's that concept. The Judeo-Christian loves taking this verse right here. By grace are ye saved. And say, well, you're saved by grace. You can live however you want. It doesn't matter what you do. But that's not what's being said. What's being said is that by grace we are saved. Not our race. Not our pedigree. But that also is required. And that's the concept that many people miss. We are saved by grace. Why? Because now we are responsible for the blood of Jesus Christ when we transgress the law are covered by that blood. There is a big difference between the two. So while the Old Testament patriarchs and many of the children of Israel of old had it easier in animal sacrifices, Jesus Christ made it more stringent and stricter. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, 
Be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is an all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Jesus Christ made it more stringent and stricter, because now we can crucify Jesus Christ anew when we go out and transgress. What is transgression? Sin. What does sin lead to? Death. And so, tying perfectly back into what I'm saying, we are saved by grace. What does that grace entail? Grace is something that's imparted in judgment. And therefore, we are saved, quote-unquote, by grace, which means we have position within the kingdom, because grace buys us that. But how did we get that? Through our own works, through our own thoughts, and how we lived our life. God's grace is enough to cover up, but not everyone does. Jesus does say to those left-hand goats, depart from me. You practiced iniquity. That's a nice way of saying lawlessness. You didn't do what you were told. And doing what you're told, whether you believe in the Pentateuch and the laws being in effect or not, or just Jesus' red letters, is a fundamental aspect and required of faith. Belief is the first step. Belief leads you to faith, and faith leads you to action. You should have works that accompany your faith. A new life in Christ, and that's exactly what we're covering here in Ephesians chapter 2. So, verse 6, continuing on. And raised us up with him, and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, not the whole world. And get that concept down. Because this is one such place where the Judeo-Christian comes along and they pervert it. They take John 3.16 and they say, well, anybody can be saved. But here we see a confirmation of what was taught in Isaiah. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is given. This was confirmed by Jesus Christ who said, I'm come only for the lost sheep of the house, meaning race of Israel. This is confirmed when he sent out his disciples and commanded them to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And at the point of digression, I want to point out right here that accompanying that is the statement. If this house doesn't receive you, kick off the dust of your heels and go to the next one. Don't slander them. Don't write hit pieces. Don't go off and do all of these things trying to prove how this person was wrong. Rather, do just like Jesus Christ says. Let the blind lead the blind. If they're blind, they'll fall in the ditch. How hard is that? That requires faith. 
But many people don't have faith. And the reason they don't have faith is because they don't have a new life in Christ. They don't put away those old things. Paul says, when I was a child, I believed as a child. I believed in childish things and so forth. But yet when we become an adult, we need to put away those childish things. So one of those such childish things is the way we once were, when we were ignorant of God's word or when we were juvenile as teenagers, the mistakes we made, the violations of his law, stealing, lying, and so forth. Sins that each and every one of us do make and want Jesus' grace to forgive us for. So do not put your own judgment in jeopardy by judging others. It's so simple because Jesus Christ says, by which measure you measure, it shall be returned unto you. Not only judge not, because in what manner you judge, you'll be judged in return, but in what measure you measure it, it will be returned unto you. So don't think for a minute that there's any unsolved mysteries with God. Don't think that there's any unfairness with God. God is perfectly fair across the board, even though man oftentimes blames him for their own transgressions. Perfect example, a man smokes his whole life. God gives him sign after sign of coughs, of spitting out blood, whatever it is. And then the man gets cancer and blames God. A man may be a drunk and wakes up with a hangover time after time after time after time. And then he dies with a liver blown up and he blames God. Never understanding that those hangovers, those coughs were signs of God telling you to stop engaging in things that are wrong for you. That is the way of the natural man. That is the way of doubting Thomas that I preached about last weekend. They can only see the natural. Therefore, they can't understand the spiritual. It's foolishness to them. So this concept of having a new life in Christ is something that CI holds, something that Sola Scriptura Christians are going to adhere to, but not so much within the Catholic Church, even though they come along and they call you to an altar call. Even though the Protestants will come along and say, hey, all you've got to do is put a little quarter in the copper and your life's going to be peachy keen. That is what leads people into apostasy. Nothing changes, and therefore that person goes back out and they commit sin. The reality of it is, as Jesus Christ taught, persecutions will arise. You will be an outcast for following Jesus Christ, especially if you're following in the way of truth. Not in the way of the universalist church. So, we are raised up with him. And we will, as saints, sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, Ephesians 2. That in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace ye have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Stopping right there. Now, understand the difference here. Because the next verse says, not because of works. It doesn't say, don't have works. It doesn't say that you shouldn't go and follow the law like the antinomians want you to believe. What it says is this. It is the gift of God. What grace? That spirit that is within you, for example. That's a gift of God. What do you do with the gift God gives you? Say you have a gift in painting, web design, playing a guitar. How do you use the gift that God has given you? Do you use it to glorify Yahweh God, or do you use it to criticize everybody else and say, they're wrong, 
Only I have truth. Only my Bible's correct. You better listen to me or else. Well, they're out there, and they should be easy to spot. So we, as the saints, will sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That is a promise. Now, it may be in this earth age, and it may be in the age to come, and it may be after the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. That's open to debate. But the promise is there. If we obey, if we have a new life with Christ, if we put away the things of the world, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the prince of the power of the air that works within the sons of disobedience, we can have grace. Why? Because it's a gift. It's a gift of God. It's not something that we earn through works. For example, following the law is not going to get you the grace of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the law was a separate covenant. Still in effect, but not codified by Christ. So therefore, following the law today, at least the statutes, the ordinances, the blood rituals in sacrificing animals would be an abomination and a denial of Jesus Christ, who laid down his blood for one and all times. Do you believe it? Well, that requires faith. In the coming ages, he might show that grace and kindness towards us, not the whole world. So we've been saved by grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast, and that's the reason why. Lest any man should boast. We are saved through grace, not of works, so no man can come along and boast, like the Pharisees, who oftentimes would sit there and say, aren't I righteous, aren't I pious, put ash on their face, make four pretense, long prayers in the marketplace, wear long robes, give to the rich the cheapest seats in the synagogue, that's the Pharisee. That's the separatist. That's what the word means, Pharisee. Again, I point that out because there's a thin line between being separate from heathen nations and separating ourselves out from our own race. And that's what the Pharisees, for lack of a better term, were doing, at least at the beginning of John chapter 8. So, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, no man down here can come along and say, you know what, I have a little bit more come up. It's with Yahweh God. Why? Because I didn't eat pork for 35 years. That's not the way God works. Why? So you can't boast. In fact, to add insult to injury in a lot of ways, when you see men boasting in their own righteous works, we should be able to say that in a roundabout way, they're denying the gift of God, which is Jesus' grace and his anointing blood and judgment. Why? Well, they've got it so worked out with themselves, they can play judge, trial, and jury, and so forth. They can take the position of Satan, who is the accuser of our brethren, and accuse. Nonstop. That's their modus operandi. That's the spirit that works within the sons of disobedience, quote-unquote. That is the spirit of the world. Not the spirit of truth, but the spirit of error. Now, the spirit of truth is imparted by Yahweh God. So, we are saved by grace, not because we don't do anything. We're saved by grace, so man can't boast in his keeping of the law. No man can fully keep the law from infancy. There will be one point that each and every one of us offend, and that's why we are saved by grace. That is why we should not boast. That is why we should be repentant, and that is also why we should strive to have a new life in Jesus Christ. So last verse of the evening says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship. Stopping right there. We, who? Paul says, we, the Israelites, 
those endosporia are his workmanship. Yes, many people come along and they say, you know what? God doesn't need you to do anything. Oh, really? How do you think God works scripturally in the Old Testament? God always worked through men who would obey him. It wasn't as if, or at least until the point that rain and rain fire onto Sodom and Gomorrah, that was God. That was God in the deluge, sending water upon the world of the ungodly. But God also worked through Jonah for the Ninevites. God worked through Isaiah, Jeremiah, and even Paul. Many people want to come along and say, I don't trust Paul. Be that as it may, that's their prerogative. But Paul wrote 80% of the New Testament. Paul was a Pharisee. He was like all those other hypocrites in the form of Saul. But he was chosen of Jesus Christ. And he gives many valuable second witnesses. So, we are his workmanship. Who? The Adamites. The children of Israel. We show forth his praise. Continuing on. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what you're created for. Not for slander. Not for attacking, not for putting yourself up in a position and saying, I'm the Pope, I'm a Bible transliterator, I'm so important and valuable, this ministry requires me and is lucky to have me. That's the mindset of many people. For example, oftentimes people will send a few shekels to the Covenant People's Ministry and then they think that suddenly buys them the right of dictating how my ministry should be run. Or how my forum should be, who should and shouldn't be banned. But that's not the mindset of Jesus Christ, is it? No, indeed. Jesus Christ says, give expecting and nothing, but give in order to receive. Let me me digress here for just a moment, because I want to point out what a proud-hearted heart centers around. Bible says, uh, he who repents and is baptized is saved. In other places, it says, he who believes is saved. In other places, there's a long list of uh, commandments that a person must go through in order to be saved. So cutting through that and getting to the heart of the matter and what we must do to be saved, I believe, will be extremely beneficial. But those, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God. It's a simple statement. But it's straightforward. And understand that. When your heart becomes proud, you forget Yahweh. Now, the proud-hearted man won't recognize that. In fact, oftentimes, the proud-hearted man can say, I'm doing Yahweh's work. That's confirmed by Jesus Christ in that great white throne judgment with that goat company. But what do they do? They focus on the faults and failures of others. That's what proud-hearted people do. They're self-righteous. They're critical. They have a fault-finding spirit. They look down on others. They have an independent, self-sufficient spirit. They're confident and proud in how much they know. And they always have to prove themselves right. They're always on the defense. They don't realize that you should teach the word in season and out of season and let the chips fall where they may. They don't realize that if someone slanders you, you don't render evil for evil. Actually, you address the behaviors. That's the Christian mindset. But when all you hear is Pastor Eli is this, Pastor Visser is that, Pastor so-and-so is that, well, Jesus Christ says, out of the mouth proceeds what's in the heart. What's in the heart is slander and defamation of other people. Gossip is forbidden, period. What else do the proud-hearted people 
have, well, they're self-protected of their reputations. They desire to be served. Hmm. That sounds familiar. In fact, in light of the last three weeks' events, there's a lot more I could produce if I had to about those who want to be served and control others who say, well, if you email me, then I'll say this. But if I don't hear from you, well, then I'll what? Many of them say they'll go out and slander. <laughs> form of control. They desire to be a success. They desire self-advancement. They desire to be recognized. They have the underlying attitude. Pay close attention. Quote, this ministry is privileged to have me and my guests. End quote. Do you have that attitude, dear kinsfolk? Pharisees oftentimes did, and many people who come and go throughout Christian identity have this ideal. They may join up at the Covenant People's Ministry forums for a while. They'll have fellowship. They'll ask lots of questions, even answer other people's questions. They listen, but then oftentimes they disappear because they don't understand that we don't own the body of Christ. We do not dictate to the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is many-membered, and it means ecclesia. It is his people, and it encompasses many different ministries. That's the symbology of the many-membered body of Christ. You can't say to the arm it's wrong. You can't say to the leg it's wrong. That is, if you're the arm or the leg, for lack of a better term, one body part can't say to the other they are wrong. But a proud-hearted person would. Why? Because they forget Yahweh their God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14. But the contrast of that is found in Psalm 51, verse 17. It says this, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Now, Jesus Christ taught the same exact thing. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Teachable, the downtrodden, if you will, those of a contrite spirit, those of a contrite heart. Those are the ones he goes after. And as I mentioned in the first segment, that parable of the publican and the sinner, we can never forget the teaching there. Don't be like the publican who thought he had it all worked out, who had brownie points with God, therefore he could judge the sinner. The sinner made it in. Don't be like those who come along and that's all they can do. Jesus Christ forgave the man on the right-hand side, did he not? Why? He was repentant. He did not forgive the other malefactor who was crucified that day. And it was because he was not repentant. Repentance is the first step in grace. That is forgiveness. And forgiveness is what each and every one of us should be going after because none of us have lived 100% holy and 100% righteous. But we should strive to. That is the pattern that is laid out. So we are at the top of the hour and I'm going to wind the show down. I'll invite you next Wednesday, that is the 24th of April, 2013, to join us same place and same time, that is 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so until next time, once again, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ, amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, 
and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings, and we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.